Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's Euractive virtual event, where we're going to be talking about what the realities are of the biodiversity and farm-to-fork strategies. My name is Dave Keating. I'm a journalist based in Brussels, and I'm coming at you live from the Euractive studios in the heart of the EU quarter. Now, today we're going to be talking about the EU's farm-to-fork strategy and how it intersects with food systems and agricultural technology. Now, the strategy was unveiled last year as the agricultural component of the overall EU Green Deal, which has a headline goal of reducing emissions to net zero by 2050. The strategy has been largely welcomed by stakeholders who have been calling for more strategic thinking about the future of EU agriculture for many years. Uh, but there are still many questions about how this strategy is going to work in practice. And one of the areas causing questions include the strategy's goal for reducing pesticides and fertilizers use. There has been concern that some of the policies outlined in the strategy could create a burden on farmers or decrease EU agricultural production. There are also big questions about how technology can contribute to meeting the strategy's goals and how innovation for new agricultural technologies can be best encouraged. So today we've assembled an expert panel to talk about some of these issues and discuss the effect these proposals might have on EU agriculture. But before I introduce them, a couple of housekeeping notes. You guys at home are going to be able to ask your questions to the panelists. You can do that using the Q&A feature on Vimeo. You also have the chat feature, important to point out. If you have a question for the panelists, put it in the Q&A. If you just have a comment, uh, you want to respond to something someone said, you can put that in the chat feature and everybody can see that. But if you have a question that you want me to read out, you put it in the Q&A. Uh, also, you can participate in the debate live on Twitter using the hashtag you see below me there, EA Debates. So let me introduce our distinguished panelists for today's discussion. First, we have Tassos Haniotis. He's Director of Strategy Simplification and Policy Analysis at the European Commission's Agriculture Department. We have Slovenian center-right MEP Frank Bogovic. We have Carla Boonstra, head of unit for agriculture at the Dutch representation to the EU. We have Pekka Pesonen, secretary general of Copa Kajeka, which represents farmers and agri-cooperatives. We have Berenice Dupieux, senior policy officer for agriculture at the European Environmental Bureau, uh, which is an NGO. And then we have Andreas Huber, Integrated Field Sciences Leader for Europe at the Agricultural Chemical and Seeds Company, Corteva AgriScience. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us here today uh, for this discussion. I'm really interested to get your insights on this topic. Uh, Tassos, let's start with you. Uh, what would you say is the main goal of the farm-to-fork strategy as it relates to the Commission? You're really the person on the inside crafting these policies. What does the Commission want to achieve here? What uh, the Commission wants to, uh, to achieve uh, with the farm-to-fork strategy is pretty much uh, translating the overall Green Deal uh, orientation into the field that starts from farm and goes all the way to the fork. And here uh, I would like to make a comment, a very brief one, uh, based on the, uh, on the video that you showed that showed a tractor and a farm, an arable farm. The farm-to-fork strategy applies to all layers uh, of uh, the production and the consumption of food. And this is why it's extremely important to keep an eye on the other elements. Now, when it comes now to biodiversity itself, it is one of the biggest challenges we face, if not the biggest challenge among all the environmentally related uh, aspects. 
It has multiple causes that are not only affected by agriculture, but the fact that agriculture has almost half of the landmass uh, uh, allocated to it shows how important the role of agriculture is going to be. What is extremely important is land uh, is crucial in uh, biodiversity and land management is the most crucial component. And here is where the leverage, if you want, of the uh, policies, because the common agricultural policy is a policy that targets its uh, support uh, via land. So what we want to do is try to find ways uh, whereby we encourage a series of practices that improve land management and by doing that improve also uh, the delivery of biodiversity targets. But we have to do it also in a manner that discourages some of the most uh, negative practices. Now, what is important also to keep in, uh, in mind is that biodiversity will not be addressed uh, alone. It's one of nine interconnected uh, targets, objectives that we have in the new common agricultural policy. And what we want to do is find ways whereby uh, all this uh, work in tandem. Um, we have had a debate uh, that usually is polarized around issues that focus on how much uh, one or the other measure has an impact on the cost of production or whether uh, on the other side of the question, uh, how catastrophic uh, the situation is. In reality, we have to do uh, a clear focus on the specific situations we have and we have to focus on practices and what practices are doing, best practices. And here there is no monopoly, but there is a very healthy competition on the ground of best practices that improve in reality what is happening throughout uh, land management and also have very direct and indirect positive effects on biodiversity. The problem we have is that these are site-specific uh, solutions that uh, apply in a different way in different uh, sectors, in different environments, and in different uh, member states and uh, background uh, infrastructure situations. That's why uh, the strategic plans that we have uh, uh, put as a priority in our uh, legislation aim at looking at the specific situation in every member state and in every region already in the member state and try to increase the overall level of ambition of all efforts made by all practices. And what is extremely important to keep in mind here is that there's going to be a difference in the applications. There's going to be clearly a difference in speed. But what we shouldn't have is a difference in what uh, the level of ambition should be, which should be higher for everybody. What is important to keep in mind is uh, two things. First, we do have concrete examples, and we have made plenty of presentations of these examples of all practices improving at the same time the economic and the environmental performance of farmers. This is not a myth, it's a reality. But also the reality is that these practices are not applied in the same manner by everybody. There are gaps in knowledge, in applications and in perceptions about these practices. And this is where we think we have worked a lot to bridge these gaps and make a knowledge-based agriculture um, the standard of uh, European uh, farming practices. Great, thanks. Frank, let's go to you. I mean, at the European Parliament, you guys are going to be scrutinizing all the different components of this strategy uh, as we move forward. Uh, do you think that the farm to fork strategy on the whole is going to help farmers or hinder them? Uh, good morning. Uh, 
first of all, uh, if you want to answer on this, uh, uh, very good impact assessment. This uh, we miss this impact assessment and. Uh, uh, one of the questions from the European Parliament that it must be prepared as better as it's possible. Otherwise, uh, we all agree that the uh, goals of uh, farm to fork strategies, uh, strategy are very okay. We agree with it. We want to have more healthy food with less antibiotics, less pesticides. Uh, uh, we also know that. Uh, Obesity and uh, this uh, strategy go in this this direction to have environmental friendly friendly agriculture. I think that uh, it's necessary that uh, the farmers will uh, will uh, not be uh, uh, not be in bad uh, position. That we ensure first of all enough money. In, uh, that uh, people can invest in new technologies like precision farming. We must ensure that there will be enough uh, of knowledge. Uh, we must uh, take care for young farmers who will make these uh, changes uh, and uh, they see as, uh, this farm to fork strategy. Uh, we must uh, also influence on, on uh, dietary diet buy these products. On another hand, we must take care that uh, organic food is expensive, so it must be enough money for the, the far, that consumer can buy this. But it's also connected with food chain. Uh, this is uh, very good that we speak about it. It's a good position for farmers. Uh, and also, also very important, take care about trade agreements. It will we will change uh, in direction to farm to fork uh, uh, strategy agriculture only in Europe, not world. There are uh, challenges, and uh, through this debate, uh, we can uh, we can uh, see in which direction to ensure that we will help farmers farmers and not hurt them. Thanks, Frank. We're having a bit of problem with your video. We'll see if we can sort that. Um, Carla, let's turn to you next. Uh, you're coming from a national perspective here. Um, so from that national perspective, Carla, do you think, well, what are the positives and negatives of the farm to fork strategy in your view? Uh, Carla, you need to turn on your microphone. Uh, excuse me, do you hear me now? Yes, you're either there now. Yes, yes, excuse me. Um, I put it off because I was listening to Tassos and, and Frank. Um, let, let me start by saying that the Netherlands um, is very supportive and committed to the general objectives of both the biodiversity and the farm to fork strategies. Uh, as biodiversity loss and climate change are threatening human welfare, uh, let's be honest, uh, if we like it or not, the long-term economic sustainability of the agriculture sector is linked to long-term environmental and social sustainability. Um, and I think, and, uh, and, and the Netherlands for that matter, that the biodiversity and farm-to-fork strategies provide a welcome long-term goal 
and guidance on how to provide a secure supply of food without further harming the environment. But uh, saying that, I realize uh, that it won't be an easy task. Um, I think it, it requires a real paradigm shift and a multidisciplinary approach. Um, it requires a comprehensive, integrated, coherent and balanced approach, uh, more from a food system uh, perspective with an, a broad set of measures, instruments and policies. Um, it requires all partners, and I uh, align it again, all partners uh, in the food system to deliver on both strategies. It's the farmer, it's also all the partners of the chain. Uh, it is the, um, the, 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 the two markets, but also... We seem to, Carla, we seem to have lost your audio again. I don't know if you can turn that back on. That's strange. Uh, yeah, you're back now. I think my, <laughs> I have an automatic uh, laptop, apparently. Uh, I don't know what my, my last words were, but what I was uh, underlining was that it really requires a paradigm shift. It requires a food system approach, and it requires all partners in the, in the chain to, uh, uh, to, to uh, take their uh, role, including, and that's what I really wanted to make, uh, the consumers, because that's something, some, yeah partner which you sometimes miss in, in the whole discussions. And of course, there is an, an, an important role for primary producers. Um, as entrepreneurs, they are a key player in achieving the common goals. Um, and for them, I think being able to, to, to play that role and take up the responsibility, it's, it's uh, important to, for them to have the, the room to, to meet binding accountable targets, for example, on biodiversity and to being able to produce in a sustainable way. I think it's for them important that we monitor on agreed performance targets, the outcome, uh, and not on measures taken that we don't prescribe how they uh, have to achieve it, but that they achieve their goals. Um, you already mentioned in your introduction briefly on, on technologies, and I think to sustain productivity, the role of sustainable new technologies and innovations cannot be overestimated. That's really what we need. Uh, uh, for being able to, to produce enough food in, in the future uh, in a very sustainable way. Um, and to that, we have to provide our producers with, with the tools that can support them meeting these targets. Uh, it's, for example, uh, on fertilizers, new breeding techniques, uh, alternative proteins for feed, for feed, the reuse of organic waste, uh, and low-risk plant protection products. Um, and lastly, I think being able for farms all to participate in, in the whole uh, transition, uh, we should provide them the right incentives and the right financial uh, rewards. I think in, in, in the review of the cap, there are very interesting instruments which could support this, uh, this transition. Um, um, and last but not least, uh, allow primary producers to earn their fair share. And I think when we have the a good set of, of the, the uh, enabling conditions for farmers and for other uh, all other partners in, in, the, in the whole food system, uh, it is doable. Uh, again, it's, it's not going to be an easy task, but also for the sustainability of the agriculture sector, but also for the sustainability uh, of, of the whole world, for, for humankind. Uh, we need to go uh, along this way. Thank you. Thanks, Carla. Pekka, let's turn to you next. You are representing the people working in this sector on the ground. Uh, do you think that there's a risk the strategy could hinder <coughs> farmers uh, and actually result in less agricultural production? Well, I feel like um, I will be joining the choir 
here when I, when I would uh, point out that we certainly support the, the general principles of the Green Deal. It's more to do with the how, not if. And um, it, uh, to short, shortly answer your question, of course, there's always a risk. Uh, we have to accept this, but this is why we are there and why, why we work together with all our stakeholders to minimize the risk and um, maximize the, the potential that we have within the framework of the Green Deal. But then um, it is very much what Tass has pointed out that uh, we need to take into account the conditions and, and uh, let's say, tailor-made applications taking into account those local, regional uh, member state conditions. And therefore, we have supported the recent uh, proposal of the Commission, in fact, the previous Commission, to go forward with this performance-based CAP. But it's key to keep consistency across the policies. Um, I think Frank Bogovic also already mentioned trade. It's a good example of that. We didn't have, uh, for instance, Mercosur agreement um, um, fully taken into account in, in, in the Green Deal in, in this respect, especially from farmers' perspective. Uh, it's, it's also about keeping the, the harmonized common agricultural policy approach or any other policy approach when we, when we go for the slightly differentiated national implementation of the strategic plans. But let me be a bit critical about the, uh, but the EU itself, and especially the European Commission, has not actually provided sufficient evidence on the investment that we clearly need. Uh, just doing nothing is not an option for either for farmers or any other stakeholder groups. Um, uh, if we just deviate from the land use, we need to work on the value chain that the consumers actually appreciate what we are doing and in, in, they are prepared in the worst case scenario from their perspective to pay a premium for the environmental sustainability and at least in some some aspects. Uh, it's also very much about uh, what the previous speaker pointed out that the uh, EU is supposed to support us in the in the technology front, especially certain very closely linked technologies to agriculture such as new breeding techniques and low risk substances, biocides, um, uh, biocontrol measures. The track record is not very good on the European Union, especially European Commission. So we would call upon active, uh, uh, more active policies in this respect. Um, and also, I would like to point out that politically, it's, it is very popular to say that we need to keep relatively small structures. And um, therefore, we need to also recognize the fact that we have to start working on we, what we got. And this is also in the policy side. Um, we have worked and learned some very hard lessons, for instance, areas such as food safety. And that is something that we need to respect. And that wasn't actually respected during the recent political discussions in relation to the Green Deal. Some of the high-ranking policy officers in the European Union actually questioned some of these principles that we learned in the hard way. I would like to conclude by pointing out that the Green Deal is a very good example of, of a question that we actually said to the society, who to call a farmer as a food provider in future. That's an interesting idea. Berenice, let's go to you next. Do you think, obviously you guys are campaigning for EU agricultural policy to be more sustainable. Uh, so do you think that the farm to fork strategy is doing enough to help biodiversity in particular in the EU? Thanks, Dave. Um, well, in generally speaking, the EB is supporting the farm to fork strategy and the biodiversity strategy. But I like to remind that 
although it's the first farm to fork strategy that we have on the table, uh, it's not the first biodiversity strategy. Um, back in 2010, the EU already committed to what we call the biodiversity strategy 2020. And there, there was targets, for instance, um, to restore 50% of um, degraded ecosystem. And those targets have been missed by far. The opportunity cost, opportunity cost to, uh, to not reaching those targets has been estimated to 50 billion uh, euros a year, which is just a bit less than the common agricultural uh, policy yearly budget. And these costs are currently bare by the citizens uh, and just reflect the, the political failure, the lack of willingness to really implement those targets. So we should we shall learn uh, from our failure having those two new strategies, the farm to fork and the biodiversity, because at the moment those strategies are only aspirational. There is a clear lack of uh, a commitment, legal commitment behind them. Um, they need to, those objectives need to be enforced, enforced through existing legislation, such as the sustainable use of, of pesticide and the future common agricultural policy, but also new legislation, including the new nature restoration law. So right now, what we see is a mismatch between the ambitions and what is required uh, for member states to implement. Let's take a specific example, for instance, reducing uh, pesticide by 50%. This is currently do doable. I mean, we have the technology, we have the knowledge out there to actually reach this objective. The problem here is, again, a lack of political will to, to reach that, that objective. Uh, for instance, uh, integrated, integrated pest management plan should be mandatory since 2014. But what we can see is that member states are not acting and the European Commission is not enforcing it. Um, we see that the national action plan under the sustainable use pesticide directive uh, are actually weak and, and are not really proposing new innovative solution. If we look at the future uh, common agricultural policy, uh, they are not prioritizing measures that will go towards integrated pest management or pesticide reduction or use of, of less synthetic fertilizer. So clearly here, if we want to really have those uh, uh, objective rich, uh, we need a political commitment behind them. And I, I would like to react to some couple of points that have been already raised by the previous speakers. So there is a possibility, the prospect that the actually EU Green Deal ambition uh, might lead in the short term to lower production level in, in Europe is often used as an argument to delay or to oppose to the introduction of those two, two strategies. Um, at the moment, it makes no sense to pursue the goal of ever increasing production for its own stake without considering the impact for the planet and health. So when we talk about impact assessment, it's good to look at it holistically, the impact for the farmer, but also for the planet and, and, and for the consumers. So really, if any impact assessments that need to be carried out in the future, you need to take into account natural capital which is uh, largely not done at the moment. And continuing our business as usual will util ultimately undermine the ecosystem health on which farmers actually uh, uh, rely on in order to have a profitable agriculture. So it's not only for the environment that uh, we should reach this objective, it's also for the farmers 
sake to continue to have a profitable agriculture in the future. Thanks, Berenice. Let's go to Andreas finally. How do you think, Andreas, that the Green Deal and the Farm to Fork strategy will change products and also affect innovation in the coming years? Yeah, thanks a lot for the question. This is a, a very relevant question for a company like Corteva, which is 100% focused on agriculture. And 5,000 of our 20,000 employees work in research and development. I'm part of this uh, research and development organization. So we strongly believe that science and technology uh, can help farmers uh, to um, continue to um, uh, produce healthy and affordable food, probably at increasing amounts because world population is, of course, increasing without depleting natural resources and uh, without negative impact on uh, climate. So for that reason, we fully support the objectives of the Green Deal. And I think a, a very nice proof point for this is that uh, last year we uh, published 14 sustainability commitments, and they can be seen on our website. We hold ourselves accountable against these commitments, um, opposite our shareholders, uh, growers, and also consumers. And these commitments come along with clear metrics. So like, uh, for example, increasing food production by 20% worldwide, by, and at the same time, reducing greenhouse gas emission by 20%, improving soil health by 30 million hectares, on 30 million hectares. So I won't go through all these goals, um, but they can be seen on our website. But these commitments show how our research pipeline has changed over the last few years. So the Green Deal didn't come really as a surprise for us in industry. So we were anticipating this and uh, redesigned uh, product pipelines and, uh, and products as such uh, accordingly. I want to give you maybe a few examples of areas where we think uh, innovation uh, is already now helping and can help much further to achieve the objectives of the, of the Green Deal. So let me talk uh, very briefly about fertilizers. Um, nitrogen inhibitors in soil are an excellent tool to reduce denitrification losses. And thus, uh, this is an important greenhouse gas. If we can reduce these emissions by 40 to 50%, um, we already contribute a lot to the climate goal, uh, which is uh, written down in the Green Deal. Um, also, nitrate leaching, of course, can be reduced uh, dramatically by using such tools. Crop protection, um, uh, Berenice already said, 50% volume reduction is possible of pesticides. Of course, technology is currently developed. Uh, when we look at the area of micro spot applications, digital assisted uh, crop protection applications um, are uh, in the development and they will reduce pesticide volumes uh, dramatically and still ensure a, a good and appropriate control of plants against diseases and pests and weeds. And the, the last part, I think a, a great um, uh, potential lies in the combination of plant breeding and crop protection research. Um, we have already now in, our, in the toolbox of European farmers fewer and fewer tools that can be used to control important pests um, and diseases. So we need the help also of plant breeding to, uh, to generate new varieties that are more tolerant to certain diseases or certain pest damages and can offer a new tool uh, to, to farmers uh, when they have only softer pesticides available, biological pesticides available. Um, so the combination of these two, um, are, I see a, a large um, promise here. On the other side, of course, we also want regulation to enable this innovation and um, make it possible for us to bring this innovation to farmers. 
my last example was from land breeding. Um, the last uh, land breeding innovation uh, that was that could be used in Europe is uh, was introduced a long time ago, and new breeding technologies are very useful to produce new varieties that are tolerant to these diseases. So what we hope um, is that regulation will help us to uh, to bring this innovation to farmers, and uh, and help us to uh, support the objectives of the Green Deal, where we are fully supportive of. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Andreas. Those are some interesting technologies you've lined up. Um, I want to follow up with a question for Tassos. The, I think there's, there's a question that we've kind of pulled out here about whether the, the farm-to-fork strategy in any way threatens food security. Uh, because, of course, we want agriculture to be sustainable and as friendly to the environment as possible, but also at the same time, we know that these are delicate value chains and that food security is an important issue uh, here in Europe, but very, very much, especially globally and, and in the developing world. Um, so do you think, do, you, do these proposals affect food security at all? Has the commission undertaken an impact assessment on this? Well, uh, well first of all, in terms of the impact assessment, uh, for every legal proposal that the Commission is going to make, we'll have to do an impact assessment. Uh, whether there's going to be an impact assessment that will cover all elements at the same time or not is an open uh, question. Uh, we have done an impact assessment when we made our legal proposal. We have done an up update of the baseline uh, as a contribution to the climate uh, impact assessment. So the supply side uh, is, in my view, pretty well covered, and I hope sooner or later this also will uh, come out and there are going to be impact assessments when we look at all the proposals that will have to be made that would affect either the environmental side or also the uh, side of the consumer uh, behavior but uh, impact assessments and analysis uh, will always provide uh, results uh, with a certain degree of confidence or a margin of error whichever way you want to see it for the issues that we discuss here, uh, we already have the information that allows us to come up with certain uh, overall statements. First of all, the series of proposals that we have made in the form to fork strategy, each one of them would have a short-term negative impact on production. So one could say that there's going to be a cumulative impact upon them. But at the same time, this impact is going to be there if we freeze technological change and adjustment of best practices. This is, for example, what came from the U.S. study where they froze technology and they came with the results that they came. But why should we freeze technological change? Why should we freeze the introduction of new best practices? We need to avoid the mistake of considering that there is only one or a different way of doing uh, best practice. It's only organic or it's only precision farming or it's only agroecology. All best practices have something specific to offer provided that they're based on what is best for the conditions of the area they are. What is important, and this is where I disagree with Veronese, that we don't prioritize measures. We prioritize measures, but we don't prioritize by ticking boxes of this and this and the other thing. We prioritize on the basis of a SWOT analysis that we require for member states to do, of identification of the biggest problems and the priorities that they have to implement, and on measuring the performance of these practices. So if at the end of the day, we manage to improve 
the environmental and the economic efficiency, then the debate and the concerns we have about what is happening with food security will, in my view, be lowered. But we need to be clear about the question we ask and the answer we give here. We talk about planetary boundaries for uh, uh, biodiversity, and it's it's the most crucial element in terms of planetary uh, boundaries. It's where we are uh, lagging uh, behind more than any other target we have on sustainability. But at planetary levels, the world is not the European Union. The world is a planet where population grows much faster in other parts than in Europe. So it has to answer to a question, do we need to produce more with less or can we stay with less with less in terms of food? If the answer is that we have to produce more with less, then the question for the European Union is where can we provide a leadership in terms of the best practices we have and in terms of the technologies we can generate that would allow us to do that? And in all the meetings and webinars and travels that I have had in other parts of the world, people tend to focus on the use that they do of what is a European technology, which is Copernicus and all the satellite imagery we have, and how they use it to improve the manner by which they manage their land. In Europe, we of course do it, but we do it in a very uneven way. So if we start focusing on that, I think we will soon, and on other technologies, new breeding techniques have already been mentioned, and also existing practices that are more mild in terms of environmental impact. We can see by doing that, that there are ways of reducing the marginal cost of production instead of increasing it by applying these techniques. And then the debate on what is the impact on food security is going to become a completely different one. Because if you reduce your marginal costs, then what you can do is produce what is necessary in terms of food, which has to be in a different distribution among different products than what it is today, but do it without necessarily increasing the cost of production and the price of food. And that's the big fear right now that exists about it. Yeah, I think that's a good point in how the European policy interacts with the whole global system. Pekka, let me get your response to that. Do you think that the strategy risks uh, harming food security? Well, I completely agree with Tassos in the sense that we know already what happens in the supply side. And this is, this is also a strong argument from our perspective. The Commission has not come up with solutions. They come up with, a, with objectives with, where we don't necessarily disagree. Nobody uses pesticides for the sake of using pesticides because the farmers themselves are the first um, to have the risk on the, in very concrete terms on their skin. But the Commission falls short in providing that, that part of the dynamic assessment that the Commission calls for, it, uh, for itself. That USDA took a look into this from a, a more fixed uh, approach. If we are confident in that dynamic, why didn't the Commission come up with the, the, the ambitious uh, declaration that we need to embrace some of the technologies that would clearly provide us with solutions? Because if we don't do this, the only consequence of this process would be that for the supply side uh, um, cuts in output, we would be more exposed to the third country's imports to the EU food market on technologies themselves that we do not like. And this needs to be addressed. 
And the commission seems to have a, a particular approach now, at least in two very clear uh, approach uh, on a voluntary scheme that the commission has insisted that uh, there's no need to have an impact assessment on the on the global green deal even if the commission is talking about the green deal being incorporated into the cap reform package i find it very strange to uh, to understand this logic from the commission perspective to add to that the commission has implemented uh, at least in two particular policy areas uh, what what they call a voluntary approach and by definition, if it's a voluntary approach, then this doesn't have to be accompanied by, by impact assessment. And these are the taxonomy, sustainable finance, which actually would impose these re green requirements through the back door to the value chain. It is not de facto voluntary because the, this is already happening. And second, the, the famous code of conduct on the business um, practices that the commission used the same um, voluntary approach and consequently, no impact assessment provided. So this, this is something that we see that the Commission is going against their own principles in showing us all what the consequences of these new initiatives would be, and we just wait like animals to be slaughtered to have the consequences to the European agriculture sector. Once again, it's about who do we call as a farmer? Why do you think we, we see these in, uh, initiatives uh, to put to put forward synthetic food, the same technologies that would be extensively used in these these processes, actually has have been specifically banned from the access of the farmers themselves. So we have clearly double standards here, and the farming community can accept this. We support the initiative. We support the objectives, uh, principles of the Green Deal. But clearly, the performance is lacking. What needs to be done at the EU level. Berenice, let me get your take on this. What is your take on this food security issue? Uh, thanks, Dave. Um, like mentioned just before, the food security is always put on the table. Uh, right now, uh, we, we, we are in a model, in an economic model, where we assume that as long as a country, a third country, uh, have the necessary means to import food from Europe, for instance, uh, they will be they will not suffer from hunger. This is uh, we we clearly see with the COVID crisis how they have impacted the most vulnerable countries. Uh, when there is export restriction, it all again impacts the most vulnerable countries. So this system has clearly its limit. However, the European Union do need to participate to uh, produce food for the rest of the world. But once again, it needs to do it in its planet boundaries. And although uh, there is uh, planet boundary and not European boundaries, clearly see what we see in Europe right now is that we have an excess of uh, nitrogen. We have a lot, an excessive loss of biodiversity. We are using too much water for for irrigation, and we have a, a, a soil, let's say, a soil degradation. So all the environmental indicators are showing red in Europe, and this needs to be addressed now. Um, the, the, the overall issue around the food security is an issue that, uh, that can't be solely the response of the European Union. And that's that's something that I think everyone can agree on. But we need to preserve our salt in order, in order to be able to continue uh, to continue to produce. Regarding the, the link between food security and impact assessment, on the long run, 
once again, even we need to change the system holistically. So right now, for instance, we are producing, let's say, 60%, about 60% of our cereal land are allocated to feed production. So in order to feed our animals, our livestock, clearly we need to change all, our, all our, the consumption pattern of the European Union in order to, re to, to rebalance our, uh, our consumption in order to avoid to allocate 60% of European land to, to, uh, to livestock feed. This is the kind of issue that we need to think on when we are when member states will need to draft their cap strategic uh, national plan. And clearly, right now, and I want to emphasize that they, the European Commission will have no power, zero power, to push member states to enforce the objective of of the of the farm to fork strategy and the biodiversity strategies. What's interesting to me is I've covered two rounds of common agricultural policy reform over the past 10 years, and these are the same issues we've been talking about for 10 years, right? Especially when it comes to greening the CAP. Um, Carla, I want to ask you, the Netherlands is a country that follows CAP reform very closely, has followed it very closely. Um, from your perspective, what is the relationship between this farm-to-fork strategy and CAP reform? Is the relationship coherent? Because we're talking about a lot of the same issues here, but I wonder, do you think those two policies are joined up in how they're thinking about them? Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you for the question. I think it, in, indeed it is an important question. Um, it's a relationship between farm and fork, farm to fork strategy and form coherent. Um, first of all, I think we, we do have to remember that the cap reform and at least the uh, proposals for the cap reform were there before the farm to fork strategy was being presented by the new uh, commission. So, um, as, as a matter of fact, it, it, it is understandable that it is that both uh, are not fully uh, fully aligned. As we see it in the Netherlands, uh, we think that um, the the cap and, and the greening of the gap uh, is one of the tools uh, uh, that that we need to meet the farm to fork strategy and for the, in the broader sense of for the green deal uh, objectives. But this is only one of the instruments. Um, uh, we also have our national policy. So again, that's what I also mentioned in in my, in my introduction. We really have to look at it from an multidisciplinary uh, approach, what are we doing at the national level, what could be done uh, uh, in the common uh, agricultural policy. Um, uh, and that's a little bit up to, to the countries uh, as well. Uh, but coming back to the CAP, although they were not in time, not, not fully aligned, I think there are uh, interesting uh, developments in the CAP that certainly could uh, underpin the uh, objectives of the farm to uh, fork strategy, like for example the, the green architecture with, with the eco schemes, um, and also with with a performance based uh, uh, delivery model we we are looking uh, at. Um, but here again, it's 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 about ambitions and uh, how far they as uh, as member states to go. Frank, what are your thoughts on this this issue, and in particular the the coherence between the the farm to fork and CAP strategies? Uh, you ask me, I have sometimes very bad connection. So this question for me, uh, Dave. Uh, yeah, it's what, what are your thoughts on this issue, both of the, the food security issue and the coherence between farm to fork and CAP? Yes, 
Uh, first of all, about uh, food security, uh, I think it's very important that uh, we have on the table and also food uh, which people can pay. And here, I think uh, we must take care about uh, consequences of uh, this uh, strategy and uh, uh, be, be sure that uh, we will really have food security. And what is also important in the country in Slovenia, we have two thirds of all land are permanent pastures. So when we speak about dairy production, beef production, this ability that we uh, work on our uh, land, otherwise uh, in hilly areas it's not easy to, to, uh, to produce uh, 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 not, the, the livestock sector is necessary, so this is about food security. About thing that uh, uh, we know that the, the, the proposal was prepared before uh, farm to fork strategy, but these goals which are in the proposal about family farming, about supporting of small farm, supporting innovations, new technologies like precision farming explained uh, before. Uh, support for transfer for knowledge, young farmers, also green architecture and uh, third money in both pillar uh, for uh, uh, this uh, 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 green architecture. I think that, that we really have uh, coherence between these two policies, but uh, as colleagues said, it's uh, the question of speed, how fast we can do that will uh, have at the end of the day all three pillars of sustainability, environmental, economic and uh, social. I think uh, it's uh, possible to do. We have, uh, we have uh, these uh, this, um, uh, measures in this direction. We have um, more support also in uh, new, uh, new recovery and resilient uh, found for this uh, is not uh, uh, included uh, or uh, very in very small amount and uh, when we speak about digitalization and what we need in also in rural areas uh, also bioeconomy targets here I think that we can also uh, do things can go in in this direction I think that uh, these uh, uh, policies uh, are coherent but uh, uh, the question of the important. We've got tons of questions coming in from you guys in the audience, which is great. I'm going to get to those in one second. But before we do, I just want to go to Andreas, uh, because you're very much focused on the technology here. So how do you think all of these issues we've been talking about, how can technology and innovation tackle some of these tricky subjects? I think uh, technology and innovation is, is essential. And um, European agriculture always innovated. Uh, thousands of years, otherwise it wouldn't be there yet, and otherwise we wouldn't have these extremely fertile soils that we have in, in Europe. I think we, um, one of the objectives of the Green Deal is also to increase competitiveness and resilience of agriculture in Europe. And uh, we are worried that uh, this could be endangered. Um, yes, Europe is a strong agricultural producer, but uh, not all crops, um, we are not self-sufficient with all crops um, that are consumed in Europe. We have new pests that are arriving uh, in Europe um, because of a changing climate. 
So the, the drought is not the only issue that farmers are struggling with. Um, it's also new pests, it's new diseases that are coming along with climatic changes. And if farmers don't have these tool, tools anymore to control these uh, problems, these stressors on their crops, then the viability of some crops as a whole is endangered, like fruit and vegetables, for example, where some in some areas farmers can't control certain pests anymore, and uh, we don't yet have biological solutions to fully control those pests. So technology, technology and innovation can help, certainly, but um, we need to be careful not to wipe out certain tools from the toolbox of farmers that are needed as a breaching technology until we have a full, fully innovation toolbox that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that is needed for the future. So I think this is a little bit the worry that we have, that we feel too confident that European agriculture stays as competitive as it is now forever. Because uh, if we don't consider all pillars of sustainability, which includes socioeconomic factors and, uh, and uh, um, um, a competi competitiveness of farmers, along with biodiversity and environmental issues, then this uh, resilience uh, will not be there and will be harmed. Okay, let's go to some questions for the audience. Um, I want to go to Tassos first. Uh, because we have a couple kind of technical questions for the commission, and it's on the subject of the, the phasing out of uh, pesticides. Uh, so we have a question, sorry, I've lost it here. Uh, yes, okay, so Lucas Kilewa uh, asked the question, uh, what is the exact strategy for reduction of pesticide use by 50%? Are we talking 50% area or amount? And then another question for you, uh, Tassos. Uh, uh, somebody, uh, so uh, Gonzalez Corrales from the UPA asks, uh, so the farm to fork strategy presents figures for reducing PPPs, fertilizers, and antibiotics, meat reduction. What might be the effect on food prices? So Tassos, if you could tackle those two questions. Yes, on the first one, uh, first of all, it's my colleagues on Sunday that are the experts, of course, of that. But we, what we try you know, to aim is two types of 50% reduction, and it's on volume, actually, of sales. One is on the overall volume, and second, on a, a list of risk of the most risky pesticides. Because obviously, it's not the same thing uh, that uh, you reduce uh, the volume of uh, pesticides while you increase the most dangerous ones. And that's where we target uh, both. So uh, this is uh, the short answer to a much more uh, complex question. And on this, of course, there's going to be uh, an impact assessment that uh, Sante has already announced. That. Now, on, uh, on the issue of the impact of production, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, when you uh, the use of a certain quantity of inputs results in a certain quantity of output, if you reduce these inputs and everything else stays the same, you're going to reduce the output. The real question is, does everybody else stay the same? And this is where I, allow me, Dave, also to, to come back to a couple of issues that have been raised. Uh, we we avoid to have a debate. You, you mentioned before that we talk about the same issues in the last couple of reforms of the CAP that you have dealt with. You all have dealt with more than that. And yes, we talk about the same thing. We talk about the economic, we talk about the environmental, and we talk about the social impact. But we don't talk in the same environment. The price level today at world uh, commodities is very different than the one we had 10 years ago. 
technologies today are very different than the, one, the ones we had before. And the structure of production in Europe is very much different than what we had before. For example, we have reduced by 30% the level of consumption of beef in the last uh, uh, 30 years. And we I don't think that we have noticed that. So what is important is in the current context to see what the real impact is going to be on our production. And there, on some of these issues, you don't really need a holistic impact assessment that will take four years to look everything. You look, you need to look at the existing facts. So when we say that everything is red, we need to be aware of the fact that the European agriculture is the only major agriculture in the world that has reduced emissions over the last 30 years. I repeat, the only one. And although it's true that in the last years there has been stagnation, the last couple of years there has been improvement again. But do we learn anything from this in what we have done correctly, but also in what we need to do much more in the future to improve things? Second thing, which is also pretty much linked to the debate on food security. We keep hearing about how much land we give to the feeding of animals. First of all, half of this land is permanent pasture land. And there are plenty of studies that indicate that permanent pasture land is what you need to preserve for climate action and also because it has very uh, extensive forms of production that are extremely important. Second, on the other part, I mean, there is a characteristic in Europe that we tend to ignore, a factual characteristic. Soybean yields everywhere, Brazil, US, Europe are around three tons per hectare, and that's what all these protein uh, crops pretty much. Wheat yields in Brazil and the US are also around three tons uh, per hectare. In Europe, there are six. So if you replace one by the other, the impact that you have at the global level is clearly not the same. The world is going to produce less wheat if we replace it. It's not that we cannot produce more soybeans in Europe. Now, is this an issue that addresses food security concerns or not? And how exactly do we respond to that? This is the type of discussion we need to have. And that's where we need to see in a very concrete ways the trade-offs of doing one and the other on economic, on environmental, and on social dimensions. As for the impact on the price of food, as I said before, it depends on whether we manage to shift, to put it in economic terms, the supply curve uh, to the right. What does this mean? It means that we introduce all these technologies and practices that reduce the cost of production. And we have provided examples in outlook conferences that indicate that whether it is organic, whether it's agroecology or precision farming, you can do it. People are doing it on the ground. What is not happening is we don't generalize these practices, partly because in Europe, we don't have farm advisory systems that are efficient in providing information to farmers to tell them what they have to do in the best possible way. Pekka, I want to, we have a couple questions for you, so I'll take them all in one go. Uh, so this question comes from Ronald Werflinger. Uh, Pekka, do you see the meat livestock production in Europe as a stable, sustainable model? Uh, has the, obviously there's been a lot of studies about the emissions caused by meat, the consumption of meat in particular. Is the farm to fork strategy paying enough attention to that? Berenice, I'll come to you on that question as well. Uh, and then a second question for you, uh, Pekka. So this is kind of a more general question from Bruno, Ros Bruno Rosa. Uh, if Copa Cajeca supports the Green Deal, shouldn't the association side with the Commission's proposal? Uh, so Pekka, if you could take those two questions. 
Well, uh, first of all, the actually Dasa's answer to the first question already quite quite well in the sense that uh, we are not competitive enough to produce the the commodity that the market asks on the basis of our own production of feed material. And this is why we import some of those fractions, especially uh, protein crops from third countries. For agronomic reasons, we cannot do that in a competitive manner in, in the EU. And changing the composition here in Europe would actually externalize the impact of our, our meat production even more. We very much believe that it is um, um, in our hands to make the necessary modifications to this. We have technologies that could actually enhance our own supply in the EU with existing uh, inputs and especially land use. Um, some of my uh, contacts and st other stakeholders have actually pointed this out already years ago, that we, we can actually improve our own supply in order to diminish our uh, environmental footprint, especially in third countries. But this, this is exactly what, what I asked for. We need to enable these technologies so that we can actually do this better. This is also in link with some sectors such as biofuels. Um, we were accused, uh, until quite recently we have been accused, of taking the food out of poor man's mouth by biofuels. In fact, what biofuels are and what the processing plants are, they are feed manufacturing plants. Because by far the biggest fraction is protein-rich um, co-product that we feed to our animals, which actually provide important crop rotational opportunities for farmers, exactly in line with what Tasso said also in terms of improving our sustainability at farm level. And the previous CAP reforms have actually introduced, for instance, the crop rotation. So that's why we are more than interested in, in working on this. Um, and, and we need to take a holistic approach also for the meat production, because basically um, what we see here is that it is very much interlinked with other sectors such as arable crops, but also some of the some of the food industry residues that we actually use back to the back to the farms and animals, fattening, fattening pigs, poultry, for instance. And the reality is that that whatever we do in European agriculture, we need to take a close look into nutrient cycle. And the 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 fact is that we need to um, bring back those biomaterials that we could use as natural fertilizers. In fact, after this event, I will join uh, join a meeting with the Fertilizer Europe, and the, my message would be that they need to be very much present in the in the organic fertilizer market. And this is a long-term strategy for our organization. And then for the second question, I just repeat what I said. We support the principles of the Green Deal. We have absolutely no problem with this. What we point out that the Commission falls short dramatically falls short when it comes to those elements of how. How are we going to fight peasant disease that would most probably be more prevalent in future because of the climate change itself? We need to have solutions for the phenomena, especially in arable crops, but also in livestock. And that's what we have called upon the European Commission to help us. We asked Executive Vice President twice last year that could you help us in making the necessary investment because we see the see the need, we are interested. And agriculture is lacking behind in the general investments. The only thing that we received was that you have direct support, play with that. And this is not good enough. This is, this is uh, half of the equation that is missing. 
Thanks. Uh, Berenice, I want to get your take on this issue as well about meat consumption and whether the farm-to-fork strategy addresses this enough. And I also want to put another question to you. This question comes from Mario Gentile. Uh, how do you address the possible increase of imports of cheaper products from countries not applying the same standards? So we've touched on this a bit, I think particularly when it comes to meat, uh, as uh, Pekka was just outlining there. Uh, how do you stop uh, the, uh, uh, the, the the problem from just being shifted elsewhere? Yeah. Um, regarding first uh, your first question, meat uh, meat consumption um, and meat production, I think it's um, it's quite interesting. So. Uh, in the agricultural sector, by far the livestock sector is the biggest emitter of CO2 emissions, and also um, so due to methane, and methane is as well an air pollutant. So um, it's not only an impact on on climate, but it has also an impact on uh, air pollution. What is interesting to to and I would like to react one point that uh, Mr. Anutis has raised is that we need our livestock sector to maintain our permanent grassland who are good for carbon sequestration. This is looking at the problem in the wrong way because right now if you look at a country like Germany, uh, permanent grassland due to bad management and over livestock, so too much livestock per hectares on the on the uh, on the grassland are actually a net emitters. So permanent grassland are emitting CO2 into the air because due to, due to poor management. So we, it, it has to be clear that we need to reduce the number, the total number of livestock in, in, uh, in Europe if we want to, to, to be in the safe operating space for European uh, environmental and, and climate issues. Um, it's quite interesting, and maybe uh, Clara would like to re react after on it, but in the Netherlands, uh, they are starting that to actually reduce the number of uh, livestock. Um, and so it shows that it's feasible uh, to, to do so. So that's the first point regarding uh, livestock uh, production and consumption. Um, what I would like to, to just add on that point, um, regarding, you know, the economic competitivity of the livestock sectors. The livestock sector in Europe have been in an economic crisis for more than a decade now. And we are providing them bandage over the hood, but we are not fixing the problem. We are having an overproduction year after year and after year. We, say, we see storage of uh, dairy uh, powders uh, that we later on export. So really, our economic model right now aiming to export, uh, let's say, uh, animal product deri or derived animal product is, is, is at the end. Not only because it's economically uh, not uh, fe feasible to continue, but it's also environmentally not feasible to continue in, in that line. Um, so your second question was, how do we avoid that uh, our imports somehow do not meet the same environmental standards that we are having in Europe? And that's indeed, within the EEB, we are advocating for um, uh, realigning our trade policy, European trade policy, in order to really do all our trade agreement does take into account uh, the planet boundaries, and so that the environmental standards that we do apply to our, uh, let's say, domestic production, uh, 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 people who are exporting to, to Europe are complying with those same or equivalent uh, standards. 
so we, we, we are pushing for, for such type of policy, trade policies. Carla, did you want to come in on that issue as well about the, the off-putting off of these issues to the rest of the world? Uh, thank you very much, Virenice, uh, for, for the question. Uh, and indeed, you what we at the moment uh, are trying to, to structure uh, our um, uh, animal sector. Um, given by, by a court ruling, by the way, which ruled that, that, that the way we are dealing with our nitrate of nitrogen uh, near Natura 2000 uh, areas uh, did not uphold. Um, so we have now programs in place to see whether uh, farmers uh, would like to stop uh, their businesses. I'd like to, to underline that uh, those are still voluntary schemes, and, and that's, I think it, it's one of the important uh, things to keep, to keep in mind. It's also what I tried to underline in my introductory remarks, that um, to, to, to reach the, the long-term objectives, uh, it is important that uh, primary producers uh, do have uh, the room to, uh, to meet their objectives the way they want. Um, having said voluntary doesn't mean that they are not uh, obliged to meet the targets. Certainly, we all have to meet the targets and we do have a problem and we certainly are going to meet the targets. But I think it's very important to do it in a way that, that it suits best with, with the way a farmer would like to do it. And I think in the end, um, there, there, could, there, there is room for, for, for both systems, the more extensive farmers uh, with, with a good business model, but also um, maybe the more intensive farm. It's in, in the end, it's, it's about a balance and it's about uh, achieving your goals. It's not about uh, numbers uh, and size. Um, and again, I think um, uh, coming back on, on the question on, on level playing fields, um, um, I think trade policy can contribute to, to higher sustainable sustainability standards. Um, and I think, uh, by, for example, by negotiating and including ambitious trade and sustainability chapters in our trade agreements. And in that respect, I would be uh, interested, it is interesting to hear maybe from Tassels, uh, because uh, the head of the commission just uh, published his communication on the trade policy review um, and what would be a way to, to address that. Uh, a second uh, remark uh, on uh, the level playing field. Uh, I think we have to realize that uh, we are most competing uh, with, with uh, imported products on the internal market, at least for, for the Netherlands. Uh, we are well, known to be a big exporter, but again, uh, about 75-80% of what we export is on the internal market. So again, that is, that is the biggest sales market for us. Um, and I think we, we should do an, an extra effort to, to distinguish ourselves better but by better selling the quality, qualitative characteristics of our produce to make it more known to consumers uh, what, the, uh, what the efforts are behind the, pro the, the efforts of the farmers are behind uh, the products they find on, on, on the shelf by raising consumer awareness. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit confident. I think that one of the things the COVID crisis has shown us that there is an increasing awareness also among consumers that um, what we are producing in Europe, it's safe, it's good, it's a high quality standard, also from a more uh, sustainable uh, perspective. Um, again, uh, I, I cannot but, but underline that uh, it, it's also for the living playing field, it is important that we make sure that farmers are uh, fairly compensated for their contribution to sustainability, sustainability. Um, and that the cap reform offers uh, good uh, 
government tools to to realize that by by paying for for public goods, public services, farmers are paying. But also maybe we have to look more into the true cost accounting and that, that um, we are that we pay the price for a product which what is the real price and that could apply both to internal but also to to the third markets. Uh, and that may solve some of the uh, laughing playing problems as well. And lastly, uh, I would make a plea um, also in, in, in for, for raising the awareness among consumers. Why don't you go to a European sustainability uh, label? We have something like an energy label, you know, with all the colors from, from red to orange to green, a light green and, and so on. Uh, why not something for, for sustainability uh, and leaving up there to the farmers that they earn can earn uh, points depending on the way they would like to do the farm management and could be very ambitious uh, with, with, with uh, uh, organic farming, but also award in that way farmers who do more uh, with uh, sustainable uh, soil management or more on uh, integrated uh, pest, pest management, things like that. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Tassos, I want to put that trade question to you that Carla asked. Um, this has come up a bit also in the questions from the audience, so let's just open this topic. The, the recent review of the EU's trade policy, uh, how does that intersect with farm to fork and, and tackling some of these questions that we've asked? Can trade policy be used to avoid some of these sustainability effects globally? Yeah. This is a very a very long uh, uh, question for which uh, I cannot provide a very, very uh, you know, very brief answer right now. I mean, it is obvious that one of the uh, issues that the world trade system has to address in the future is how to integrate environmental concerns into the discussion. So far, this has not been the, the case, and this is going to be one of the big challenges, but that uh, we have to do it, first of all, by clarifying the ideas that we have on that and that there's going to be you know, further discussion on this. So I'm not ready to say something that we haven't decided. Second, what is also very important is you need alliances on this and you need to get others on board because trade is a two-way street. You cannot impose on others uh, things that uh, they're not ready to do. But as long as we consider that climate action is a global problem and everybody has to get on board and more and more are getting on board, one of the most positive things that happen is that they use the new US administration is back into the Paris Agreement. Uh, then uh, what we have to do is see how at the global level, these issues are addressed uh, in a much more concrete way. And then uh, when we go into the details of that, uh, we're going to get uh, more concrete uh, answers uh, to these issues. So that's what I have to uh, say about uh, the trade review. One thing that we have to make clear, uh, sometimes we have the tendency to, to talk about others applying our own standards, we have to be very clear what circulates in the European Union has to meet the safety standards of the European Union. So if there are traces of things that are banned in the European Union in these products, these products should then be uh, circulating in the European Union. The most difficult part is on the type of standards that exist in the level of production in other uh, countries, and that is as difficult on the environmental front as it is, for example, on labor conditions or on other conditions. I, I wish there were uh, simple solutions on that. So that's what I had to say on trade. Uh, I have a couple of other things, but I don't know uh, to mention on what was uh, on the livestock debate, but I don't know if it's for now, it's for later. Uh, maybe we could save those for the wrap up at the end. You can come back okay. to those topics. Um, we have three questions for Andreas uh, here. So, uh, so the first question is from Laurent Cornette. 
Does farm-to-fork include mechanisms to avoid losing essential farming tools before actually having best practice alternatives? That's question one. Then another question for you, Andreas. This comes from MCF. How is research and innovation policy integrated into the delivery of farm-to-fork, for example, Food 2030 or Horizon Europe? And then finally, a third question for you, Andreas. This is from John. What evidence can you provide that increasing productivity will result in reduced environmental impact, considering that this has not been the case historically? Mm -hmm. Yes, thanks a lot for these questions, all very relevant. Uh, let me start with the uh, tools that farmers have. Um, so I think I mentioned already that this is a big worry for us, that uh, sustainability is defined in a very narrow way, so that um, socioeconomic or long-term goals of agriculture are not uh, appropriately considered when we focus very much on individual aspects of uh, product attributes. For example, um, when, when risks are, are seen and not put into context of the overall benefits of a new um, solution or new technology. And we see this very clearly, I think, with the CRISPR-Cas uh, gene editing uh, discussion. So this is a big worry that uh, some crops might disappear um, before we have um, new technology that uh, satisfies um, all, all parts of the, of the discussion. Um, with the, uh, what the EU is currently doing with uh, Horizon, for example, I think this is a very important program. Um, we, we also welcome these um, type of programs because they can support uh, new innovative ideas, uh, new technologies, and, and can also support uh, a much needed collaboration between um, industry, so the private sector, and academic institutions um, that are very strong in Europe and uh, among the leading institutions worldwide in agricultural research, which, by the way, is also um, uh, coming back to CRISPR-Cas, is also reflected by the way that the Nobel Prize uh, went to a European researcher for developing uh, the CRISPR-Cas uh, gene scissors. Um, the last question was about the increase of production. So how can we increase production without um, the negative impact uh, that uh, might have been seen in the past? I think um, research evolved dramatically, as uh, some of my uh, other speakers also said. We are not we are not uh, having the same technology anymore than 30 years ago, because uh, industry certainly adapted to the new demands of society, the new uh, desires of society to have um, different products. And we certainly won't develop products that uh, don't meet these demands of, of society, because in the end of the day, society are consumers and uh, they need to accept uh, these, um, these, these products. So I think we are on a good way here. And um, maybe to, to close this um, with the, the, the discussion about trade, I think one aspect which is often underestimated or not mentioned in this aspect, uh, when we are importing food into Europe, we are not only importing food that could have been produced maybe in a more sustainable way in Europe, we are also in importing uh, nitrogen. So when you take with every ton of soybean, we are importing nitrogen into our ecosystem. And uh, we need to replace some of these nitrogen imports with uh, European crops like oilseed rape. Um, if we, we are working on very hard since many years in our plant breeding programs to produce oilseed rape varieties that have protein contents that are similar to or equivalent to, to soybean meal. And uh, when we implement such technology, when we bring this to farmers, then we can improve our nitrogen balances, the greenhouse gas emissions, and our overall climate balance uh, worldwide, and biodiversity as well. 
So it can't be uh, the goal of, of this Green Deal to improve, to increase imports into Europe in, by increasing not only imports of food, but also of nitrogen and other nutrients that are in surplus at the end of the day here. Thanks a lot, Frank. I want to go to you next on some of these same issues that we've been talking about. So uh, I want to get your, your take also on this innovation issue. Is the farm to fork strategy encouraging innovation enough? And do you think that innovation and technology advances that increase yield will also cause environmental and sustainability benefits? Frank, are you there? Sorry, is, is this the question for me? Uh, at the beginning, yes, Dave, sir. I never. It's okay. Yeah, it's thanks, a question just to come in on this issue. Will increased productivity yield to environmental benefits? Uh, yes, I'm sure that can bring us a lot. Uh, I work on this topic of uh, smart villages in, in which we always underline that and to have possibility to use also these new tools uh, in in dairy production for example cows for example uh, also in uh, in uh, uh, crop production and i'm sure that in for do this if we want to bring this uh, innovation and new technologies on the farms we need young farmers essential to have technology is essential that we have young farmers usually they are the first who bring this new technology what is very important that we prepare solutions also for small-scale farmers it can not big farms uh, and uh, here I think that it's necessary to to think about this and to to prepare uh, Solution also also through CAP uh, in this uh, uh, smart villages concept we also speak about a lot about I think this is one thing what is necessary to to do also in uh, uh, countries uh, where it's not usual the equipment or something like this or that you have these uh, people who make services with this so for sure I'm uh, I'm sure and what this, uh, for this new technology, uh, we must build uh, trust in between producers and consumers, but also with better traceability. And uh, this uh, machinery, these uh, new tools uh, uh, allow us to ability what we are doing on the on the fields uh, and uh, which technology we are used so that people can uh, come and consume and trust is very, very, very important. And uh, what I said, it's important that we ensure conditions that young farmers will have uh, big problems with uh, farming sector, perhaps less with biodiversity because people will not on the, on the fields anymore. Great. So let's get some concluding remarks from each of our panelists now. Uh, Tassos, let's start with you. As promised, I know you had some additional points uh, you wanted to make. What are your concluding thoughts about all these issues? Well, I will bring them all together in the interest of time. Uh, first of all, 
Uh, we're talking about a farm to fork strategy and we haven't really spoken much about the fork and we haven't even uh, spoken about the two part of the, the food chain because if there are no fundamental changes in the demand uh, behavior uh, what are we expecting the farmers to do we have been pushing farmers to be much more market oriented to be to be sensitive in what consumers demand well let's see what this implies in practice and i think this is a very important element to keep in mind because a lot of these things, including uh, issues like carbon farming, will depend on the existence of a certain market, a certain demand side that will help the price to be where it should be to provide uh, the right uh, incentive. Uh, second, in terms of the discussion on livestock, uh, I, I don't disagree at all with Berenice that there are areas where in, uh, in grassland, permanent grassland, the number of animals is much bigger than, uh, larger than what it should be. Uh, but First of all, in terms of cattle, the numbers are going down and will continue to go down in the European Union. Um, growth is mainly in, uh, in uh, poultry, especially the intensive type of poultry, and uh, pork is pretty stable. But what we need to be clear is what we want to with this permanent grassland. Do we want to keep it with lower uh, number of animals, or do we want to convert it into something uh, different? One is a debate about methane and methane has a much shorter cycle and as long as the number of animals goes down you have a positive impact on methane you convert permanent grassland into arable land and then you have to for a couple of thousand of years uh, pay the price for uh, the carbon that will go up in the atmosphere so this type of discussions and also discussion on whether we need organic fertilizer and where it's going to come from shows the potential trade-offs but also the potential synergies in different types of production. And third, I think there is a very important uh, question that we have to ask ourselves, not only philosophically, but on the basis of the concrete experience that we have on the ground. If all producers, whether they're organic agroecology or precision farming, uh, conventional producers today, were at the production frontier of what existing technologies allow, where would we be? in terms of contributing towards the targets of the Green Deal and the Farm to Fork strategy? It's an interesting question. Partly it was answered some years ago by our colleagues in the GRC when they looked at it and the impact on emissions was, was extremely positive on then existing technologies. And the second question then is, if we introduce those new technologies and find ways of spreading the necessary knowledge to all farmers, how is this going to help? And I think, we are going to have a much more interesting debate if we start focusing on issues like that, because what we're going to see is that there is not one magical solution that would apply to everything and everybody, but we have to look at the concretely situation of different regions, different sectors, different member states, and apply what is much more pertinent. And this is what we try to do with the proposal we made on the CAP reform, whereby we're not going to be measuring and ticking the numerous boxes of all the available tools, but we should measure on the ground the concrete improvements or lack of uh, progress in terms of performance in the various indicators we have established. Thank you. Let's go to Carla next. Carla, what are your key takeaways from today's discussion? Um, well, as I say, first of all, I think it, it was a very rich discussion. Uh, for which I would like all the, to, to, to thank all the participants. Um, I think we had a very thorough discussion on, on technology, technology, and that is still going, uh, keeping on going in, in, in my mind. 
um, I sometimes do have the impression that the technology is a bad word, um, that technology equals uh, uh, not, uh, not well, inefficient production. And I think maybe there's more we should do there um, because technologies could also be very underground technologies which we can use. So maybe we should uh, try to get a broader understanding uh, a message about what, what technologies can do. And, and I do see, of, of course, um, technologies were uh, more focused on um, increasing productivity, but reducing the shift power that uh, also technologies can be used to uh, increase productivity, sustainability. And I would like to underline the sustainable issue. Um, and I would also like to mention that it is very important to take, of course, first of all, the farmers along, but also uh, uh, the society in whole that we should do more and better job uh, in bridging the gap between uh, technology and, and society. Um, I would like to reiterate again, uh, we are talking about, about trade-offs and trade-offs about uh, economic sustainability now and, 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 and environment. But let's not forget that if we do nothing, uh, we trade off the, uh, the, our living environment for the future. And I think that's one, one important thing. Um, and I think I'll leave it uh, for now here, uh, but I'm looking forward to continue the discussion. It, it was too short, and I think there are many issues I'd like to discuss further, uh, but there may be another occasion uh, on that. But I think, and, and that's good to notice that we're all on, looking at the same way forward uh, through, different, uh, through different ways. Thank you. Definitely much to discuss on this topic. Pekka, what are your concluding thoughts? Um, indeed, uh, I think I would just focus on the on the big picture. And from this perspective, uh, European Union is a unique place um, in defining how we want our food to be produced. We have the comprehensive EU, mainly common policy set up. It doesn't work always ideally, but it's there, common agricultural policy, other relevant common policies, and the EU single market, EU common market. We only ask that these two elements would be consistent between themselves so that the farmers and other stakeholders in the value chain would be able to produce in line with the societal expectations in including Green Deal and what we, what we have there. I would like to point out that the more we go into the Green Deal specifics and the more we ask the farmers to deliver in their practical farm level action, typically exclusion of 10% of the land from productive use. The big question that we would ask you and the European Commission is that how this will be taken into account, for instance, in our external free trade agreements. You can control pesticides, residues, and the border posts and take samples, but how can you ensure that we have level playing field when we talk about true farm level sustainability? And Final word, I think we all agree that we need to have a comprehensive overview what the what the impacts of the Green Deal are, taking into account the short-term impact and the long-term impact. We have absolutely no problem with that. We need to get the uh, global comprehensive impact assessment in place so that we actually know what we are talking about and not having this shadow boxing. Thanks, La Berenice. What are your concluding thoughts? Uh, thanks. Um, so to yeah to round up uh, a bit uh, the different remarks that was put uh, 
forward. Um, the first thing that I would like to remind is that although uh, the biodiversity and the strategy uh, and the farm to fork strategies are actually very welcome, and, but they are still yet only aspirational. So um, the moment of truth will come when uh, member states will have to actually, through their national cap strategic plan, put a plan that actually are in line with it. Um, when we talk about the role of innovation and technologies, uh, often in this debate we think about, let's say, hardcore technology, new technology. And I'd like to bounce back to what Mr. Agnosidi said, um, there is the, the, the solutions are already in our hands. There is already social innovation and technology and good agronomic practices that exist to in order to reach those farm to fork uh, and biodiversity objectives and in order to change our system in order to become more resilient in front of climate change. So the solutions are already in our hands. We just need indeed to uh, help farmers to access the knowledge of the solutions and, and try to promote those, I would say also social innovation that create new market segment uh, for the farmers. And those social innovation currently are not really supported. So it's important to look at it um, not only from the hardcore technology, but really uh, a, a bit more along like the, what the farm to fork is trying to, to to, to achieve from the, the farmer to the consumer. Um, the final things that I would like to say is that indeed uh, we need to have a trade policy, an external policy that uh, do align us with our internal policy. So all our environmental standards need somehow to be taken into account when we import products uh, on the domestic market. Uh, that will be a must to be developed in the coming uh, year by the European Commission in his uh, sustainable chapter. Thank you. Thanks. And Andreas, what are your key takeaways? Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot, first of all, Euroactive, for organizing the event. It was very important. And I also want to thank all the fellow speakers for sharing their perspectives. This is very important for us to orient our work for the next 10, 20 years, because our research cycles are relatively long. Um, I think in general, I'm optimistic European agriculture is in a very good position. Agricultural practices are more sustainable, probably relative to other regions. But we are certainly worried that, um, that the toolbox of farmers is getting smaller and smaller. And uh, we strongly um, ask uh, the Commission and regulatory authorities in Europe to evaluate new technology and products um, based on how we can accomplish the Green Deal objectives with these products and technology and less on maybe isolated risks that are identified um, in the course of the evaluation. I think this is a, a key uh, request uh, from, from industry, from an R&D company, so that, uh, that, we, uh, that we evaluate our products in that way, how we can accomplish the goals of the Green Deal with these products. Thanks. And finally, Frank, what are your key takeaways? Yeah. Thanks to colleagues. And uh, I can say that uh, we speak similar language. We all uh, agree with this strategy. Now it's signed uh, solutions, it means and uh, decide about speed of accepting uh, this, uh, these changes. Now that farmers are part of solution, as uh, colleagues said, uh, today we have the more uh, the most sustainable agriculture.
altitudes of better. A condition for this are uh, young farmers' knowledge, transfer of knowledge, new technologies. Uh, it's that we have different starting position in different countries, different intensity of use of pesticides, fertilizers, livestock to take in account and take care that the production of food will be all around the Europe, not uh, uh, west part of the Europe, where is this intensity the, the biggest. Uh, very important is also this relation in supply chain, in uh, ensure better position for farmers and it will be easier to produce more sustainable products. Uh, important international trade agreements, we spoke about this. And uh, this uh, strategy is also connected with changes in the society change and other things. And uh, I think that it's holistic approach. We must follow all the things and uh, that and uh, that, that I'm sure and that uh, it, it, these goals uh, which uh, are in this strategy uh, we can reach in uh, next, uh, in, very important will be that we uh, put uh, the right measures also in CAP, uh, which I think that go in the right direction. Thanks, Frank, and thanks to all the panelists for some really interesting insights there, and thank you at home for following along, watching, and asking some fantastic questions. I can tell there is a big appetite to talk about these subjects, so certainly the discussion is going to continue. And if you want to go back and re-watch anything you've seen today, you can find a recorded version of this event on your Active's YouTube page. Uh, so thanks for watching, and I wish you a great rest of your day.